Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Uh, We're actually starting a new series today called Better is Coming, and uh, it's actually a series through the book of Hebrews, so buckle up. I think uh, we're looking at at least a year, maybe longer. Who knows? We might get lost there and just stay there for forever. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, Better is Coming. It's kind of a cool series idea. Uh, You know, we thought we came up with the idea when uh, COVID numbers were sort of going down a little bit. Uh, It seemed like the wildfires were under control and it wasn't going to snow next week. So we really did just assume everything was on the up and up. And so now I say to you, as we're meeting outside, it's 95 degrees. There's literal ash coming down from the ground or from the sky. It's only going to get better from here, right? Better is coming. I'm proclaiming that over us today. Hey, uh, the other day, I went to Ace Hardware. We've all been there, right? Uh, I was picking up some stuff. I I got locked into a conversation uh, with an older woman in the line for the checkout. We were discussing whether or not this, like, new, uh, you know, sticky putty stuff would hold up a mirror in her house. I was kind of of the mindset she shouldn't risk it. She was pretty dead set uh, on doing it. So... Uh, We sort of talked round and round about that. Uh, The line was taking forever, and so then we ended up talking a little bit about, like, our lives and our families and, you know, uh, life, COVID, wildfires, killer hornets. Do you guys remember those? I don't even know. Uh, You know, we were talking round and round and round about all the the weird stuff that's going on in our lives now and everything. And uh, at the end of it, uh, and she had asked about my daughter, too. She was really interested, you know, like having a four-year-old in these sort of strange times and what we were doing and stuff like that. At the end of it, she, like, looks at me, and in complete sincerity, probably at a level of sincerity I'm not even sure if I can pull off, she looks at me, and she says, it's going to get better. And it's weird because that sounds like a platitude, right? Like, that sounds like, well, okay, it's my turn in line, so I really want to end this conversation and walk away from you. And yet, like, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just uh, the magic of being in Ace Hardware, Uh, Maybe it was just like this weird season that we're in. I actually like took it to heart, right? It was actually, instead of just being a polite way to end a conversation, it was actually like the most encouraging thing I could hear. She really believed it. And I think because she actually believed it, it helped me to believe it too. So uh, the coming message or the this whole series really built on the book of Hebrews is pretty simple, but it is beautiful. And it is simply this, that better is coming. Better is on the way. And in fact, in some ways, in many ways, it has already come in the form of Jesus. In fact, Hebrews is written in this strange time where Jesus has already come. He's died. He's risen from the grave. He's already beaten sin, death, and hell. And yet we are living in the in-between time between when his kingdom comes into full fruition to when he's actually like sitting on his throne and we are all recognizing that. And so the author of Hebrews is wanting to... uh, paint a picture for every one of his listeners and throughout the rest of history of people reading scripture, he's wanting to convey to them that better has come in the form of Jesus and that better is coming. Now, I think uh, even right now in this group, uh, there's probably two types of people. There's people that are looking at life right now and looking at all the different stuff that's going on. And uh, you're either, in sort of broadly speaking, one of two camps. You're either unsatisfied or satisfied. And this is probably always true, right? Uh, We're always sort of on one side of that line. The uh, satisfied people are sort of thinking that more or less everything's going their way. You're looking around, you're, look, you're saying like, well, all these other people have it a lot worse than I do. Uh, you're thinking like, hey, these things haven't affected me so directly. Maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's not that awful. Uh, sure, there are problems. You have a good relationship with God, though, and good relationship with those around you. 
Or maybe you're sort of more on the unsatisfied side and you're thinking like life is chaos, it's madness, everything's going wrong, nothing is what I expected, nothing is what I wanted, nothing is what I planned on. People have done me wrong, this virus has done me wrong, this whole sort of system that we live in has done me wrong, maybe even you've made mistakes. To you, I would say that the message of Hebrews is simply that the better is coming. Better is on the way. And even more importantly, that Jesus is in fact better than all of that. And that he is coming to you. And you know what's really interesting, and I think particularly the book of Hebrews gets this better than any other book of the New Testament. If you're one of those satisfied people, if you're one of those people that's like, well, more or less, everything's going all right, it's going my way. The author of Hebrews wants to speak to you and say that better is coming, that actually there is something better out there than even than what we've accepted as sort of the possible status quo. It's better than our coping mechanisms, better than our imagined ideas of who Jesus is, better than our dreams, better than our hopes, better than our reality, better than any relationship that you've ever had, better than anything you could ever earn, better than anything you could be, Jesus is better. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So if you want to tune out now and really for the rest of the series, that's kind of the grand synopsis. Uh, You can really check out and sort of say, oh, yeah, I get Hebrews. That's what it's about. Jesus is better. That's cool. Uh, To tell you a little bit more about Hebrews, we don't know much about Hebrews. And I hope you guys don't mind. I'm going to nerd out pretty hard on Hebrews because it's weird and I like to have a lot of fun with it. So uh, we have no idea who wrote the book of Hebrews, which is super rare in the New Testament. I think if you hear or if you read Wikipedia for your understanding of biblical knowledge, you're going to believe that, you know, uh, the New Testament was written by a bunch of unknown people and there's no way of ever knowing and it's all unclear and there's no history to it at all and it's probably made up anyway, right? Like that's kind of like the prevailing narrative, but I don't think that that's really true. We actually have pretty good evidence tying each and every one of the New Testament books directly to an apostle. And this book is sort of loosely tied to Paul, maybe not so directly. He's been one of the sort of like prime candidates for potentially he wrote it. Uh, But there's also uh, sort of of other evidence against that. Uh, But he does mention, the author does mention Timothy near the end. And so he obviously had some sort of personal relationship there. It could be Apollos, which is sort of my favorite interesting theory. Now we're getting into some like Reddit level, like I think this is cool kind of stuff, but I think uh, Apollos never gets credited with writing another letter, but Paul actually mentions him as one of the leaders. Yes, Apollos. Yeah, with P. Good job, Evie. That's right. We're learning letters. So uh, it could be Luke from the book of Acts. Uh, That could be an interesting thing. Here's my favorite one. Uh, The author of Hebrews actually switches back and forth between we and I, Uh, And so it's kind of like maybe there were two people writing this. A lot of people have suggested that maybe Priscilla and Aquila that Paul uh, speaks about in one of his letters, maybe some sort of weird husband-wife duo combo writing thing. I don't really know. That'd be super fascinating, though, if that did actually happen. We have absolutely no idea. In fact, this uh, debate has been going on for a very long time. Evidently, by the third century, uh, Hebrews was already considered a book of the Bible, but they were still confused as to who actually wrote it. And so Origen, one of the famous church historians, actually said this in the third century. He said, only God knows the truth of the matter. And if you read any commentary worth its salt, it's going to quote Origen on that to say, we have a lot of cool theories, but we're really not sure. What we do know about the author of Hebrews is that uh, he or she was learned in Greek 
And in the scriptures, very comfortable working with both Plato and the Psalms, which made uh, that writer a very unique and necessary person for the life of the church. Because simultaneously, two things were happening in the ancient Near Eastern world or in the ancient world. Simultaneously, Christianity was on the rise and Platonism was sort of the prevailing philosophy of the day. And so the author of Hebrews, more than any other New Testament author, is able to sort of uh, bounce back and forth between these two things, show the ways that there is symbiosis between those two ideas and shows the way that those two things uh, confront one another. We also don't necessarily know uh, who he was writing to, who he or she was writing to. The popular theory, though, and when you read the book, I think you'll see a lot of this, is that he was writing to Jewish Christians who were facing persecution and who were beginning to think, maybe I should go back to my old ways. Remember, Judaism was an accepted religion in the Roman Empire at this point, but Christianity was not. So at this point, you start sort of facing some opposition. You've joined this weird religious cult that's popping up. It's this odd sect. It's not even allowed under Roman rule. But you could just swing instantly back and go hang out with all of your friends in the synagogue. And so he is writing probably to these people who are sort of experiencing that and who are thinking to themselves, maybe, maybe I should just jump back to the old way that I had it. Maybe it was good enough there. We don't know much. But we know that the book of Hebrews was written and was already used early, from the earliest days as a book to teach and shape the life of the church. And we also know that this mysterious voice comes to us out of the darkness, and I think that kind of enhances the experience a little bit. That, you know, coming out of nowhere, but somehow uh, recognized as canon as part of Scripture, this voice comes to us telling us that better is coming. And he doesn't start off the book to introduce himself. You know, standard letter writing procedure back then would have been like, hey, I am so-and-so, I am writing to so-and-so for this express purpose. That's not at all how the book of Hebrews starts off. He starts off like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, this is like Star Wars level of like mystery, right? You know, like long ago, that's how you start off this entire thing. And basically, he's telling us what was coming. This sets up like a common theme throughout the book of Hebrews that the Old Testament was building all the way to Jesus. And so the rest of the book is really pointing towards Jesus entirely. And so he starts off by saying, long ago and in many different ways, the prophets or God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's speaking of the rest of scripture. Now, if you're one of these people, and I think it's very easy to be one, I think I am even one myself. If you're one of these people that are wondering the ways in which the Old Testament connects into the New Testament, and you're saying like, well, the Old Testament says this, but the Old Testament or the New Testament seems to say something different. You have all these questions around that. Uh, I would say that the book of Hebrews is written almost exactly to you. His whole theme, writing this entire book, is talking about how the Old Testament was actually building towards Jesus. In fact, N.T. Wright says, while reading the book of Hebrews, he says that in, uh, the Old Testament was the scaffolding, on, the scaffolding onto which the New Jerusalem, the multi-ethnic, history-spanning kingdom of God has been built. The Old Testament for the author of Hebrews is that scaffolding, and Jesus is the building. As if to say, the Old Testament built up this framework into which Jesus could be built. The Old Testament was something that was sort of making uh, or enabling this building to actually happen that comes to fruition fully in Jesus. And what's great is that we can assume that these people already had some sort of relationship with God. They were the people of God, they were his chosen people, his children. 
But Hebrews, the author, looks at these people and says, what if I could tell you it actually is better than that? What if I could tell you that even though you had something that, that you enjoyed, that you followed this religion, that you were a part of Judaism, you were already the people of God, what if I told you that it can be even better than what you had believed? And I believe for us, those of us who are satisfied right now, those of us who would say that we're followers of Jesus, those of us that would say, like, we're pretty content in our relationship with God, I would love to invite you on this journey to say, what else is there that's better than that? Because that's exactly how these Hebrew people were thinking. They were thinking, I found it. It's good. It's okay. I'll live with it. And the author says it's better. Verse 2, he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This is not to say that he ushered in the end of all days in this moment necessarily, but this was sort of the beginning of the final age of human history. He's saying these are sort of the final section. You know, you had the section where God created the world. Then you had the section where you had the Abrahamic covenant throughout most of the Old Testament. And then you have the section that begins with Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection. And it will end with his return. He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us of of his, or he's spoken to us by his son. So here's what we're going to do, and this is going to sort of provide the meat of the message today. Uh, I want to walk through the next couple of sentences that are a part of this paragraph that lead into sort of uh, the rest of the chapter that we're looking at today. And basically, uh, what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's saying, okay, you had the scaffolding, you had the Old Testament, in the old days, God spoke it to us that way. Now he is speaking to us through his son, and I'm going to tell you why that is actually better for your life. He says, first off, that Jesus is the heir of all things. Now, this is not to say that he's somehow distinct from God, uh, though this is like a part of the mystery of the Trinity, right? That they are each of their own personalities, but still simultaneously making up one God. But more to point to the fact that one day uh, he will return to his dominion, that one day he will return to being in control of all things, that his death on the cross and his defeat of death, he came to be the one day recipient of all Uh, dominion and control and being the good ruler of all things. So to say that he's the heir of all things is not so much to say that, you know, like God's just going to hand this down to him, that he's like a son that's waiting on it, though that is true in one sense. But in another sense, it is saying that he has already sort of accomplished what he came to accomplish. And one day it will all come into fruition. He will sort of receive his inheritance one day when the world is under his control. The author of Hebrews goes on to call him the creator of the world. Charles Spurgeon actually says this. He says, I love to think that he who created all things is also our savior. For then he can create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. If I need a complete new creation, as I certainly do, he is equal to the task. The author calls Jesus the radiance of the glory of God saying that he's sort of like the UV rays to the sun. He's the, the radiation that God sends out and through uh, to us from miles and miles through millions of miles of empty space vacuum, the sun gives off little particles of light and of its very self. It is the emanation of the sun. That is the exact same way that God or Jesus is the emanation of God's glory. He's the radiance, radiance of the glory of God. 
He calls him the exact imprint of his nature. He is like a coin stamped. That's what that imprint kind of language means. He's sort of like uh, back in the day, they would stamp Caesar's face on a coin, and you would know that Caesar is backing up this currency. By his face, by his very likeness, he's saying, this is mine. I am going to stand behind this. He's the exact likelihood of the nature of God, an exact likelihood to represent all of his power and authority. He is the upholder of the universe by his word. He is the word that was there at the very beginning that was God and is God and through which all things were created and through him all things are sustained and upheld. The author says he was seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is seated in his ruling seat in the place that only he can hold in the seat that only he can sit in. And finally, the author of Hebrews says that he is better than the angels. Now, uh, that may seem kind of anticlimactic to you, and actually the author of Hebrews uses the next 10 verses to sort of go and describe why exactly Jesus is better than the angels. I don't know about you, I'm not uh, thinking about angels probably as much as I should be, definitely not as much as the author of Hebrews. He kind of goes nuts on it, right? Like, I like the author of Hebrews because he's kind of a deep dive guy, you know? Like, if you spun me up one day, I could probably give you more facts about Star Wars than you would ever want to know. That's exactly how the author of Hebrews is, except about angels, which is probably a better thing to be focused on than Star Wars, honestly. Uh, You'll never hear me repeat that again. But to say that he's better than the angels kind of feels like to us in our modern times, like uh, you remember that scene in The Office uh, when they asked like, what is the ratio of shroot bucks to Stanley Nichols? You know, like uh, Dwight had taken over to the office and made this like false, I don't even need to explain it. If you know, you know, okay? So anyway, that's how it feels to us, right? We're like, oh, okay, so you're telling me Jesus is better than the angels. And especially if you're a person who's skeptical in the room today or outside today, sorry, habit. Uh, I'm lucky I haven't said morning yet, right? Uh, Anyway, uh, if you're a person that's like skeptical and you're saying like, ah, I don't know, I came to check this out. I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing. uh, Then saying that Jesus is better than an angel is sort of uh, gibberish, right? You're like, oh, okay, so one thing I'm not sure if I believe in is different and better than something I'm pretty sure I don't believe in. Like, why does that matter at all? But for the author of Hebrews, it actually matters quite a bit. And especially for the original readers, if you were a Jewish person that was following God and you read that Jesus came in and he was actually better than the angels, this actually gives him a level of credibility. You see, at this point, especially in time, uh, the belief, the sort of commonly held belief among the Jewish people was that the angels were actually the ones who were sort of guiding the authoring of all scripture, that they were the ones who were sort of God's messenger. So to say that Jesus was better than the authors of scripture, which was sort of the highest thing that could possibly be on a pedestal, is to say that Jesus is better than everything else that you had. We actually see this in Acts chapter 7. Uh, even the, the believer, the Christians at this time uh, were saying that sort of God spoke through angels. They said this in Acts 7, 37 through 38. They said, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. So to place Jesus above that is saying that he is preeminent above every single thing than they had ever known before. Remember, the scriptures are completely 100% just all that these Jewish believers lived off of. They, they based their entire lives around it. It was sort of the center. It was the way in which God spoke to them. It was everything to them. 
So the author of Hebrews is saying, actually, Jesus is even better than that. And what's great, if you see the parallel there, he actually uses scripture to back this idea up. He says, Jesus is better than the angels. And then he quotes like usually, uh, or actually in this passage, it's uh, bunches of different Psalms to sort of recognize that the Psalms were even pointing to the fact that Jesus was going to come and he was going to be better, better than the angels. All of those five or chapters or sorry, uh, verses five through 13 are all pointing towards Psalms that are concerning angels and they place Jesus above them. And they even place uh, the human, human beings above them. He sort of goes out of his way to remind his readers that actually human beings were loved more by God than the angels. And this is all setting up this idea that he's later on going to flesh out that not only is Jesus better than the angels, but he's also the truest and best human being that has ever lived. He's saying this to say that if humans are better than the angels and that Jesus is the best humans, then they're best of all humans, then he is the best and ultimate good. He concludes with this in verse 14. He says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? He asks this question to say, are not the angels the ones who are sent out to, for the sake of those who are to be saved? If you're a follower of Jesus, are not the angels the ones who are working for you? Are not the angels the messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ? Are the angels not simply beings enlisted in God's great kingdom purpose unfolding throughout history? The author goes out of his way to remind you that Jesus is even better than the ones who were sent to tell you about Jesus. That's sort of the full circle that he draws all the way back around. He said, he reminds them that Jesus, this Messiah they've been waiting for is even better than the ones who were telling them all about the Messiah. And that those who were to inherit salvation, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is you. So, All of this to say, tracking through this whole long and kind of complex first chapter of the book of Hebrews, the author is going out of his way to let the people know that Jesus is actually better than everything they had used to count on, to lean on, uh, to follow after God and to live their lives beforehand. That he's even better than the highest they could possibly imagine. He's better than everything scripture had told them before. He's better than the messengers who brought scripture along to them. He is better than anything they could possibly figure out themselves. He is better than everything that they had set up in their lives to be able to sort of just make it through life and live through the day. Now, I know I went kind of technical today, and I know I went through a bunch of background. We kind of had to, as we're starting the book of Hebrews, you know, kind of nerd out so that we can better understand uh, where we're heading and where we're going. But I really have one simple question for you. And I think it's a question that you have to grapple with after reading the first chapter of the book of Hebrews. You have to ask yourself, what exactly in your life right now are you sort of viewing or maybe even using as better than Jesus? Like if you were writing the book of Hebrews and you're writing to someone else and you had to say to them, hey, Jesus is better than this. I imagine it wouldn't be angels. You're not thinking that they hold your salvation, probably. I imagine it might not be as a flowery language as the author of Hebrews. But what is the thing that you and probably people like you are very prone to be hanging on to? 
Like what is the thing that you just think is the best possible thing in the world? The only thing that helps you make it through the day. The only thing that helps you survive in the midst of chaos. The only thing that helps you find some level of satisfaction and contentment. I want you to think of that thing. Think of that thing that you trust in, that you rely on, that you lean on. Think of it, hold it in your mind. Now I want you, like the author of the book of Hebrews, to remind yourself or maybe even tell yourself for the very first time that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than all of that. He's better than trying to do it all on your own. He's better than trying to force something. He's better than trying to claw and fight your way through life. He's better than than trying to just sort of... um, Just settle yourself and make yourself content so that you can survive life. He's better than all the millions of ways that we try and live this life. Jesus is better. If you have questions or want to talk about that more, Danielle and I would love to be around uh, after the gathering. And uh, we'd love to sort of break that down with you. But otherwise, I just invite you. Throughout the rest of this series, I hope that you're going to be able to see, I hope we're all going to go on a journey to experience this better Jesus that the author of Hebrews is writing of. And I hope that through this process, all of those other things, all the things that we hold dear will actually be shown to pale in comparison to the goodness and glory of God. Would you guys pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to meet God, this chance to be outside in your creation, this chance to be together as your people. God, we want to believe that you are better. God, help us in our unbelief. God, we want to chase hard after you. We want to see you as better than all the other things we could come up with ourselves, God. God, we humbly ask for your help in that. And we know and we trust because of your goodness, because of your love, that you will be kind to bring us along and that you will show us that you are indeed better. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.